Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Our alma mater is in the news for a truly heartbreaking reason. We continue our conversations about campus harassment and DACA in today's episode. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Before we get started, we wanted to say we're still loving hearing about your nuanced relationship. So if you are in a relationship in which um, you are of different political persuasions, we'd love to hear from you. The easiest way is probably just to record a voice memo and email it to us, Sarah at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com or Beth at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com. Um, we're really excited about putting this episode together. Um, also, if you want to support Pantsuit Politics, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Politics. So close, just $200 away from our goal. And then we can record the Nuanced Life series that we're planning, and we're so excited about it. So if you love to hear from us on things outside politics, then help us reach our goal so we can um, launch that series. And you can also, if you subscribe at the $15 or higher level each month, hear our bonus episode. Since we have realized that y'all like it when we sit around and drink wine and chat, we thought that we would do kind of an Ask Us Anything happy hour for this month's bonus episode. So stay tuned on Patreon for more details about that. We're just in the business of giving people what they want on Patreon. Like, we're not we're not trying to be fancy. If you guys like us sitting around and getting a little uh, tipsy, we're going to give you what you want. Also, in the spirit of giving people what they want, I have launched an official 
um, House Hunters Paducah edition on Patreon. I, as we all know, I'm looking for a house. So I'm starting to share the houses we're looking at. I'm going to one today, the day we're recording on Thursday, and I'm hoping to take some video for you people. So get excited. I want the video. I love House Hunters. Well, there actually is a House Hunters Paducah edition that my two friends, Josh and Clint, did. So if you really want to see an actual House Hunters, there's one out there. But, you know, it's not me, so it won't be as fun. Well, let's jump right into the news because a lot is going on. We want to cover a story out of Transylvania University where we both went to college. I think an interesting sort of precursor to that is that we're recording on Thursday. On Wednesday evening, uh, Senator Schumer and Representative Pelosi gave a very optimistic statement to the media that they had reached a deal with the president to basically pass the DREAM Act. That might be going a little farther than they went, but that's that's what they seem to insinuate. And have the border wall taken out of the plan. And basically they got all the things. And then the president this morning tweeted, not exactly. Yeah, but he's still, I just... I don't know, guys. I think the idea that he is the deal maker, he's getting all this positive press, he likes Chuck Schumer. I don't know. I I think this could go somewhere. I think it could go somewhere, too, since there is broad bipartisan polling support for passing the DREAM Act. The thing that I think is most interesting about what's happened in the last 24 hours is how um, you're seeing that the hard right giveth and the hard right taketh away. And you have Ann Coulter tweeting that everyone wants the president impeached now. You know, you have people really turning on Trump for this. And he's tweeting about how the wall is already under construction because they're repairing fences and they're adding technology. And I suggested on Twitter that if that's what the wall means, perhaps he should start using quotation marks around it. And (laughs) I'm very supportive of border security as a general proposition, just not some medieval brick and mortar barrier between two countries. I just I can't wait to see where this goes. I'm just going to be honest. And I, I also think, honestly, you know, there's been a lot of press about the Democrats internal polling showing that like going after him is incompetent saying they're going to impeach him is not getting them places with people and i wonder if this isn't a smart strategy on their behalf too which is look we can actually get things done with him so you should vote for us it would be a wonderful consequence of a terrible situation to assemble a true bipartisan governing coalition of democrats and moderate republicans that could actually move legislation forward. I mean, that would be a real silver lining to this madness. Yeah, that would be amazing. Oh, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to get, I'm I'm an optimist, right? And so this really appeals to me, but I'm trying desperately to stay realistic. So stay stay with me, people. One of the realities that we're all going to have to grapple with, though, is that, you know, there are people who actually oppose the DREAM Act. And there are people who actually supported the president because of his promises of deportation. He tweeted this morning, do people really want folks who grew up in this country, many of whom are serving in the military, to be deported? Yes. You would probably recognize those people. They voted for you. They attended your rallies. They were hardcore. And unfortunately, that story has become quite personal for those of us who attended Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky. Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about what happened at Transy this week? Yes. So it seems that what happened was a Transylvania student 
named Taylor Rag got on Facebook, posted a screenshot of Paolo Garcia, um, and said, everyone go report this illegal at my school, bragging about breaking the law. And then she reported this to the administration, um, who didn't really do much at first, let's just be honest. Didn't do anything, it doesn't sound like. I think that they reached out to him to talk about responsible use of social media. So she posted a very emotional video on YouTube um, because they had not taken action and that she felt threatened and that she felt unsafe. And then Transy sort of came back with concerns about due process rights, but apparently got through the due process very quickly because Taylor is no longer a student at Transylvania University. And my understanding is that he posted it not only on Facebook, but also on like an alt-right kind of Mm -hmm. site. And so she received just some horrific messages and screenshots of people reporting her to ICE. And just it became a witch hunt, right? As, As sometimes happens on social media. And it seemed to be his objective. I feel very strongly that... Um, from my own personal perspective, college students are not adults. I just, I don't feel like college students are adults. I don't know how other people feel about that, but that's how I feel. That's not to say that they shouldn't be held responsible. And at first I thought, okay, is this just, you know, a 17-year-old kid jacked up, acting dumb? But this dude was a senior, so I'm a little less forgiving. And his response to, like, press inquiries were absurd. Like the Lexington Herald leader called him and he said, Lexington Herald leader, fake news. That was his comment. So feeling a little less nuanced about this guy the more I read about his behavior and his actions. And also just his fundamental misunderstanding (laughs) of DACA and the fact that she was already, if she's in, if she's reported as DACA, then she already, she's already reported. What are you going to do? To her, she's not doing anything illegal. She's part of a legal process. That's the point. So, and I just can't, you know, the power of the internet to to harass and intimidate and to unleash the sort of dregs of this subset of the internet on this poor college girl is who already is dealing with enough. Clearly, is just so unacceptable. And I think that, you know. Not unlike a lot of college administrations, Transylvania fundamentally misunderstood the pro- misunderstood sort of the situation, um, and thought they could contain it, which is not a smart response, and really should have been, I think, more protective of her and more realistic about the situation at hand. I do think that the cyber bullying aspect of this is one of the most important things to pull out. I I agree with you that college students are not fully formed adults. There's a lot of research on that. Your your brain just isn't there yet. Your brain Mm -hmm. isn't capable of the kind of judgment that adults should exercise. Although I will tell you that there are people in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s that I think aren't there yet either. So um, it's hard to generalize. But I I just wonder if this guy appreciated how serious this could get. Um, and, and maybe he did. And that's what his intention was. It's just hard for me to fathom. I, I am having a very hard time attaching this story to the reality of the experience that we had at Transylvania. And I think I keep getting stuck there. 
Well, and I th- but I think, you know, we existed at Transylvania in a very different political climate. And, and a very different time generally, right? Like we yeah. didn't have Facebook while we were at no, Transylvania. No, it's I didn't get crazy. Facebook till I left. But and I just think that, you know, when are we going to stop pretending that this rhetoric on a national stage and particularly some of the rhetoric that has come from the president during the campaign and previously does not affect people? Like, can we just, I would like to stop pretending that it doesn't affect people. It particularly doesn't affect impressionable people like college students. And you get fire, people fired up and you act like there's this war at hand. What do you think people are going to do? And I think that per- perhaps, and I have a huge amount of bias in favor of institutional trust at Transy. I was an RA there as a sophomore and the head of the RA staff as a junior and I know that very thoughtful, caring people work there and try to make good decisions. And I would imagine that they, like all of us, are struggling with where is that line between speech and incitement? And where is that line in the Internet era where so quickly words can become instruments of violence in a way that is is new? I mean, well, we, I, we didn't have to. There were some real idiots at Transy when we yeah, were there. Mm-hmm, and I can say yeah. that with full knowledge, having been on duty for men's bid day, Word. you know, but I didn't see the capacity to hurt people the way students have the capacity to hurt each other now. Yeah, because it was, you know, and I think that the administration is probably still behaving as if it's a closed ecosystem because right. it was when we were there. It was the bubble. You had control over the students. You had you could um, you had control over the to a certain extent. You know, if there was a sexual assault, obviously, you know, that's like a totally different ball game. And there was some really, really terrible sort of um, racial incidents while we were transit. Let's also not forget that they used to still dress up in Confederate uniform. One particular fraternity dressed up in Confederate freaking uniforms and big old gone to dresses. So listen. Not a perfect place. But, you know, I think that it was still you could it was it was containable. And until college administrations accept that because of social media and the Internet, that you have to act quicker um, because you can't because the damage can be so much bigger and it's not containable the way it used to be. And so I think that the takeaways for me of this are how do I educate my children early and often about what the rules are around the internet and how do I educate my children early and awful about the impact of their speech Mm -hmm. uh, to say nothing of the basic compassion. I mean, it's, I just have a hard time uh, with this viewpoint in general. I can't really find a space of empathy for someone who looks at a woman like this and wants her to be deported. And it makes me wonder what's at the root of that. Is there yeah, a personal what, something going mm-hmm, on here? Because mm-hmm. Transy is a small campus. It's it's hard so to believe they small. don't know each other. Yes, and well, you. I mean, they have to, right? right? And when she said in her video, you know, I think he needs to be expelled because I have to see him constantly. That is not an exaggeration. That's right. just true. Yeah, that she's not being hyperbolic. <laughs> no. And I guess that is my next question. You know, if you're a university, you go through this process, you determine, I think correctly, that he has overstepped a boundary and and should not continue to be there. 
what happens next? You know, the Transylvania that we went to, I think there'd be a convocation very quickly where we all get together and talk about this. What kind of individual support do you need to be offering to to this woman and all of the students impacted by what happened here? I'm glad I'm not in charge of that. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. We also heard from Tracy, who is a counselor 
And she said, you know, the other thing I want to talk about is that Betsy DeVos's career itself shows this history of a vested personal interest, a financial interest in stripping away protections for students who are borrowing. Yeah. And, And like she she is. Um, a complex figure, one who I, I just question how we got here with her <laughs> mm-hmm. in general. And it, it kind of takes me back to that point of like, if this had been delivered by a different messenger, I think it would be received differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, um, I heard someone say, talk about the importance between the difference um, between skepticism and cynicism. And so I don't think either of us are advocating that we should not be skeptical of Betsy DeVos and this administration's actions with regards to education. But I don't want us to be cynical and pass right into nothing Nothing they can do can have a positive impact. Everything they're going to do, they're going out to harm people. Like, I just don't think that's effective. I don't think it's um, necessarily true in every scenario. So I, just, I think that's, it's a hard, I'm not saying it's not a hard line to walk with Mrs. DeVos, but I think it's important. It's hard with the administration in general because yep. when you when when we say let's begin with assuming good intent and people fairly say isn't that ignoring objective reality? I don't think that I think this is a very fine line that is drawn perhaps in like a gray colored pencil, but <laughs> I don't think that our intention is to ignore that objective reality. It is instead to say, how can this debate be elevated? It's more like, how can we be the change we want to see? How can we have a conversation that leads somewhere positive? Because if we do nothing besides bash the Trump administration, we know what comes of that. It's just Mm -hmm. more of the same. Yeah. And so there is a conversation to be had around Title IX that could go to a really constructive place. Even if that's a long shot, I'd rather walk that road than the cynical one. Yeah, because I just feel like there is a powerlessness that comes with cynicism. It just means I have no power to change the situation, so all I can do is bitch about it. And... I don't want to do that. I don't think that's just not, I'm not into that. Um, And I'd rather think about, okay, I'm not powerless. So what can I do? How can I contribute to the conversation? Um, Not with the understanding that everything I do and everything I say um, will come to fruition or will is absolutely going to happen or um, is the, you know, the only path for someone else to walk. I just think it's important that we try our best to move the conversation and to push for change and to not just, you know, sit around and throw our hands up in the air until we have a different administration. When we recorded our live podcast in Nashville, Anna Guest Jelly, who was my registered yoga teacher certification teacher, was there. She's someone who I just love and have learned so much from. And afterwards, she came up to me and said, you know what? You're living your yoga the way that you guys had these conversations. And it was like the most touching compliment that anyone's ever given me. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. And You know, what that means if you're not a yogi to me is that you are practicing. You're out there practicing the principles that you try to uphold in the body in life, you know, compassion and nonviolence and um, observation without judgment. And I think that 
when you look at an issue like Title IX, where you do have some bipartisan agreement that at a minimum, something needs to be in place that can't just be waved away mm-hmm. with a new administration, there, there is fertile ground from which something good could grow. And so we're saying, like, what do the seeds of that look like? While acknowledging that, like, we do not have the ideal farmers here. Yeah. Well, and it's like, look, I get it. I don't like doing this either. Like, I'd much rather just, I had a less stressful life when I was just like, Obama was doing it. Obama's taking care of it. It's one thing, everything's great. And, but it's just not always going to be the reality that we get to, that only one of those things gets to be true. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes... I would rather, I mean, it's easier to just say it's right or it's wrong and not try to walk the path in between. I mean, it's not an easy path to sort of hold space for both things to be true, as we often say. But again, what else, what other choices do we have? Well, and look, that's going to be true long past the Trump administration. I was thinking this morning as I was watching people attack the president for this supposed deal with Pelosi and Schumer. Like, do you think that at some point, 100% of the Congress will be of one ideology? Our system just isn't built that way. It wouldn't lead to any kind of good outcomes if it were. And that's true whether that ideology is a Bernie Sanders style progressive ideology or a Tea Party style ideology. Like, we're never going to get to 100% or even a pure majority that follows a very dogmatic kind of course of action. So we do have to exercise these muscles. Yeah. Well, we're, if nothing else, Trump has given us the opportunity to do that. <laughs> Amen. We got an email from Rebecca that I thought was really interesting on the substance of Title IX. She talked about how we need degrees of guiltiness. She said, you know, perhaps minor offenses should be answered with counseling, sensitivity training, or therapy. I do feel in our feminist movement, she says, we are demanding people act a certain way when they haven't been taught. Obviously, there are guilty people out there who knew exactly what they were doing, but I think there are also people who are confused and make mistakes. There have to be levels of offense, and people should be allowed to make mistakes. And what I really liked about her message, I don't know how to do that. I do think it's hard because, as we talked about last time, you don't want to be lowering the bar in the course Mm -hmm. of that or um, giving permission for what you would consider lesser offensive Offenses, But this brought me back around to the entire issue of our criminal justice system that we've been talking about and the fact that we are we are solely focused on being punitive. Yeah. Yeah. And and if there's if there's not space within the university system to deal with like to offer a solution that is not solely punitive and to deal with one of my other things I thought that she said um, that was really good is that you know, we're ignoring the fact that sort of men exist within this culture. And, you know, I I just think that universities are a good space to deal with the complexities of this. And, you know, I don't, I don't love the idea that the answer to rape culture is to turn anybody, like just to paint rapists as monsters. I just don't think that's a good solution or a path forward. I wasn't really comfortable with the way the 
swimmer case was handled the um Bro- is Brock, it Brock Turner. Turner you know like I just don't think that's the good I don't think that's the path forward and I don't think that it's not that I think we should let you know rapists go free obviously um but this idea that the solution is to turn rapists into monsters and to allow no um complexity and look I know complexity and I hear people saying complexity means victim blaming and that's not that's not true it's just not true and I think that we have to let go with of the idea that that there is 100% responsibility on one side or the other like or that that's the, that's our only I guess that there is 100% responsibility to like deal out like a math problem I guess that's what I'd really like to us like us to let go of I think that chasing after fault doesn't advance the conversation at all. And the other thing I want to say is that we have a tremendous problem in this country with men being unemployed and underemployed and figuring out a sense of identity in the long run. Now, this is not going to be like a men's rights speech, so don't tune me out yet. Mm -hmm. What I want to say is let's take a freshman in college who sends an unwanted text message that's sexually explicit to a woman. And let's say that the college, that the woman finds that um, offensive and harmful and violative and takes it to the university and the university's response is to expel that student. And then let's say that the woman presses charges as she is entitled to do. And through the criminal justice system, we now have a 19-year-old registered sex offender. What outcomes have been served here that are productive to society but what is this guy going to do next that helps anyone and you can say and this has nothing to do with her right she has been victimized something bad has happened she has appropriately exercised her rights what happens next for him to me doesn't have anything to do with her other than validating for her that what happened was wrong Right. And that's, you know, is this, does it serve us anywhere in our society to, to, I mean, I don't, I just, it it seems weird to me that we have these conversations, especially in progressive circles, that in other areas of the criminal justice system, a punitive approach, a purely punitive approach is not the right solution for our society. But we cannot entertain that notion within sexual assault that the only the only tool in our tool belt is punitive and that doesn't mean we have to get like i said it doesn't mean we're giving up punitive it doesn't mean we don't want to punish people for sexual assault um but the idea that like the only way to change rape culture or prevent the further spread of sexual assault is to paint men who commit rape as monsters and ruin their lives and throw away the key i got a problem with that i do well i think that it's because it was so hard to get anyone to acknowledge that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost like, where do you start to give on that without backsliding into a world where people say it's okay. So I get how messy and difficult this is. And I don't want to be seen as like an apologist for people who commit sexual offenses. I guess my question is, I think Rebecca is on to something in that, The conduct needs to be obviously described as wrong. The victim, whether it's a man or a woman on either side of this equation, the conduct needs to be described as wrong. The victim needs to be heard and supported. 
And then the question around what happens next needs to lead somewhere productive. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think about I think about other areas in which we have tried to change the perception of crimes. Like I think about domestic violence and how far we've gone from where, you know, not only was it legal in some places to beat your spouse, um, but it certainly wasn't seen as problematic. And how we have moved, we have, this is a, it's not an acceptable thing anymore, right? This is a thing that we all see as wrong and it's not perfect. It's definitely not perfect. And um, I think that there are still problems, but we still, like, we still haven't figured out how to treat that within the criminal justice process, which tells me that that might not be the best solution, right? It seems like one of the best ways we change the conversation with around domestic violence is to change the way in which we treated victims sort of and and deal with that as a path um not completely separate but in some ways separate from the punitive way we we treat the offender because that's to me that's that's the issue right is we want to talk about we want to piece apart how we treat victims and how we treat offenders because just throwing the book at the offender does not support the victim like that doesn't that doesn't, or at least it's not the only way to change the conversation and to, as a society, say this is a crime that we take seriously. Because, you know, if you just throw the book at Brock Turner but never talk about the way in which this is, the victim was treated throughout the process, I mean, you're m- missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And so I think maybe that is the the solution and maybe a, definitely a solution that could be found on the college level. Let's talk about the processes and how they work for the victims and let's make sure that that process is the best it can possibly be and is a very strong foundation so that when we start to build due process rights for the accused or the offender, then we have a stronger, you know, stronger protections in place for the victim so that we can sort of have those conversations in tandem. You know, as you're saying that, a thing that occurs to me in both the university setting and the criminal justice system, because the criminal justice system is a model for adjudicating these issues in universities, we miss this crucial piece that these are treated like one-time cases, right, with a beginning Mm -hmm. and an end. When what's happening for both people is now a part of life forever. Right. And the outcome of the adjudication does not solve anything for the victim and it doesn't put this behind the perpetrator. You know, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because our court systems are so overrun, especially here in northern Kentucky with drug cases. And if you watch an hour of a docket, you recognize that this is not the right place to solve this problem. It's right, because it's not a have. one-time problem. Right, you're exactly right. Like it's it's not a one-time offense. It's a problem behavior that just continues. And and it's a it's a problem that has roots, yep. right? So it's not just the go forward, but it's what's behind me that's not getting solved that mm-hmm. will keep propelling me in this direction. And I think that that's true about people who don't have healthy boundaries yep. or have real pathology around the way they think about sex. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so if we're not dealing with the root of the problem and we're treating it as so the, the one-time individual choice – 
and which we love to do in America. We talk a lot about the problem with individualism on this podcast. And I think this is another reflection of that. Um, then how do we there, – then there is no prevention because it's the same thing as, you know, throwing an addict in prison. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. And I think not to make these situations equal in any way, but but I see a similar theme going back to this circumstance at Transylvania. 
this is not over for this woman now yep. that what's his name has been expelled and unleashed the dregs of the internet on her right and probably now he is going to be even more fervent in the beliefs that made him think that she should not be here right mm-hmm. because whatever that chip on the shoulder our rights are being taken away by people who don't belong in this country kind of sentiment where whatever propelled him to look at his fellow classmate and believe that she did not deserve to be in America which i just i can't figure that out but whatever that was i am sure he has doubled and tripled down on now and he will be a hero to the community of people who support him just like she i hope experiences a community of people supporting her through this and i would imagine that part of the university's process that took too long to get there was in sorting out like Where's the learning in all of this? And what's the support mechanism going forward? And and how do we address this as not just a punitive matter? Agreed. So before we um, sign off for today, I also wanted to, can we talk about Hillary Clinton again for a second? Yes, I would love to do that. I love to talk about Hillary Clinton. Well, and I don't. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring this up. So we got a Facebook message from Dave who said, Essentially, like, there's a difference between a pregnant woman and Hillary Clinton being treated as community property. So reacting to the discussion we had about her book, because Hillary Clinton has chosen the public eye. And I I think that's fair. Um, I also think it's fair to say that she has received a different experience of the public eye than a similarly situated man who chose the public eye. But this made me think about why I dislike talking about Hillary Clinton so much. It's like one of the only things that we ever talk about that I just am like, ugh, I don't want to talk about this. And here's what occurred to me this week. I think that I struggle with talking about Hillary Clinton because I have never had a a woman candidate that I could just be all in with the Mm -hmm. way that you're all in with Hillary Clinton. And I want that. And because we don't have a group of women at that level that is representative of a spectrum of views, whether I like it or not, Hillary Clinton is a foil for all of the baggage we have about women in public office Mm -hmm. and in business and in positions of power and authority generally. And so I have this natural instinct to sort out all that baggage around her and then sort of be disproportionately disappointed where I don't line up with her ideologically Mm -hmm. while at the same time acknowledging exactly what I said on Tuesday, which is she's, she is not, she is just a person, right? She, she isn't here to be the representative of all things, yeah. And so I just I really have trouble navigating conversations about her for those reasons. Well, my problem with Dave's feedback is that he characterized every other male that's run for president as going away, which I'm not sure how Senator McCain goes away when he's still a senator and con- categori- uh, described her as whining, which set off every red flag I have about descriptions of Hillary Clinton. I've listened to other interviews with her and I, she does not appear to be whining at all to me. Um, I think that. And here's the other thing. I think the idea that a presidential campaign falls solely on the shoulders of the individual who ran it 
is indicative of all kinds of problems we have in the society. And the idea that like, whether it was a man or a woman, just get over it and move on is so ridiculous and so problematic. And so I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. And I think that it doesn't move, you know, I just think with her, you know, I think she, when you said my reaction is disproportionate, I mean, that's true for everybody with Hillary Clinton, that whether you love her or you hate her, the reaction is disproportionate. And we need to ask ourselves why. And for the first time with this book and with her interviews, I feel like she's showing up in a real way and saying, okay, guys, why do you react that way to me? What's going on? And I think she has real valid concerns about the unique scenario in this campaign. And I think she is uniquely uniquely qualified to talk about it because our president isn't going to. So who else is going to talk about Russia's interference in our election and what that means for the future? And who else is going to talk about and who has the sort of um, important platform to say, what did the media get wrong here? And these are important conversations. She's uniquely qualified to have them. I feel like she's, for the first time in her life, she's not a candidate anymore, and she's showing up in a real way and saying, okay, I want to talk about these things just as me, just as Hillary Clinton as an individual person who has a unique experience um, that makes me qualified to talk about them. And the idea that she needs to just spare us all, and she owes us to like go away. Again, she doesn't owe us anything. And... I just, I think the conversation is important. And again, you're not legally obligated to have it. If you don't like the fact that she wrote a book, don't read it. And, you know, I just can't, I'm just so frustrated. And I think it it exercises all my, look, I didn't fully exercise all my frustration with how she was treated in the campaign because it was so intense and there was so much going on. And then we had to deal with Donald Trump being president. And so I think there is a lot of buried anger at the way she was treated that this so when you know people go down that path again and say sexist things like she's whining there's like a deep well of righteous fury bubbling right beneath the surface with when I talk about her that is probably best left untapped (laughs) and I'm trying but you people are making it hard well it's tough to recognize also that there will never be a perfect messenger yes and You are right that she is uniquely qualified to discuss a lot of things, right? There are a lot of experiences that she's had that have not been had. Mm -hmm. And so while there are things about her that make her an imperfect messenger for those messages, it doesn't mean we shouldn't hear them. It kind of gets back to my sort of we, we don't we have to stop asking people to bat a thousand. Yeah. One thing I did want to mention that she has been talking about that is sparking a lot of um discussion is the electoral college Mm. and that kind of gets under my skin because i'm in this whole space of process issues getting under my skin and the manipulation of process issues getting under my skin i am so frustrated by the reporting that mitch mcconnell wants to again weaken the protections against manifestly unqualified judicial nominees We could do a whole show on the people, and we probably should, the people that the president is nominating to the federal bench. It is appalling in some Mm. cases. And I think it is appalling that we no longer have the 60-vote majority requirement for those federal appointments in the Supreme Court. 
And I think it is now appalling that Mitch McConnell wants to weaken the sort of blue slip authority. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's been a a procedure in the Senate for a long time that the senator from the state of a judicial nominee could blue slip that person, it effectively kind of killing the, the nomination. And Mitch McConnell wants to do away with that and just take it as sort of an announcement that they would be voting against the person. And that just drives me crazy, especially when the administration is hiding behind the sense that the President Obama exceeded his executive power to undo so many of the things President Obama did. I agree that President Obama exceeded his executive power often and in ways that are hugely problematic, especially now that we see why, because it can be undone so quickly and have all kinds of fallout. And I think that the Senate majority leader ought to respect the Senate rules. And I think that if you reverse the outcome in this election and imagine a world where Donald Trump won the popular vote and Hillary Clinton won the Electoral College, the same people advocating for its abolition would be touting the Electoral College as the most important protection of our democracy we've ever had. And that's what bugs me about changing the rules based on outcomes. So I just thank you for letting me rant about that for a second. I mean, I guess I would. It's not that I don't see where you're coming from. But it's happened twice in my lifetime, and I'm not that old. So it's frustrating. And, you know, I just, I understand the importance of our processes. I totally understand your point about altering them based on outcome. But at a certain point where we're getting outcomes over and over again, then don't we need to at least have a conversation about it? We can have the conversation all day. I just don't. It's hard to respect the conver- where the conversation is coming from when this comes up for me because it feels – and especially when I see both parties seeking to adjust based on outcome. Like I, I would love to have the conversation not divorced from outcome but in a, in a space where you could say, are we really talking about the process or are we just – upset at what happened. I I think there are thinkers, I think there are intellectuals out there who have studied the Electoral College and have real important things to say about it. That feels very different to me than a book tour from a person who lost the popular vote leading to this Electoral College discussion. Again, she can say whatever she she won the popular vote. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, she like she can say whatever she wants. She's welcome to talk about it. I'm not trying to criticize her personally. Just this package of issues where people seem to have so little respect for, like, these procedural issues that are supposed to protect us from the tyranny of positions we don't agree with. I'm just very frustrated right now. No, you said she lost the popular vote. She won the popular vote. No, I That's meant to I've... say she won the popular vote. I mean, I just think. won the popular vote. You know, look, I wish that Obama had won and said, okay, you guys, we're going to get rid of the Electoral College think that would have been awesome because he won the Electoral College safely both times. And so we could have had a conversation divorced from somebody who was directly affected with it because I think it's out of date. And I think that the reason we put that process in place is no longer applicable. And I, but I think there is a real risk that this happens again. And I think the more it happens, the more people get divorced from the process and think, why do I even, why do I vote? Why does it matter? especially in the races that people pay so much close close attention to, like the presidential, 
And, you know, if this, like I said, it's happened, it's come on, it's happened twice. <laughs> you know, like how many times is it going to happen in my lifetime before people start to say, what's the point? You know, like if you don't live in a certain state, it's already bad enough that people think you, your vote doesn't matter if you live in a certain state. And that's just going to make it worse. I don't know. Here's what I want to know, though. Honestly, if it had happened twice with the Republican candidate winning the popular vote and losing the Electoral College, would you still feel that way? That's yeah, my because question. I think I think the I I mean, can I say that without a doubt? No, but I think that the the scenario in which someone wins the electoral college and loses the popular vote is problematic, no matter what party you belong to. I really do, because of the reasons. I think it makes people feel like their vote do, doesn't matter, and no matter what the outcome is, I think it's just it's problematic, man. If you have all these people voting for a candidate that's not president, I guess I'm just having a hard time with how we get people to feel their vote matters because we're going to have that problem just in a different iteration without the electoral college. It's not that I'm like some staunch defender of the electoral college. I just don't know. We are a representative. We're a republic, not a democracy, right? And so there are all these layers of whether my vote matters or not. And we're already in a situation where people's votes matter most in races they care nothing about. Mm -hmm. Your race, for example, where you're placed on the ballot matters so significantly because so few people pay attention relative to the population of people who are eligible to vote in that race that it's that you're always at risk of people ticking too many boxes or ticking the wrong ones with zero information. And so I'm not sure how much that sense of my vote counts we're being very realistic about in this conversation. No, and I get that. But I just think you also have to, you have to, and I think we have to accept the reality that, yeah, there are some races that people care much more about in our current system and president is one of them. And that's just the reality. I think it's, you know, and I don't think in some ways there's anything wrong with that. I think it's just a reflective of our, our political environment. Well, it kind of gets back to what you were saying about how it's unrealistic to expect someone to lose the presidency and just be like, oh, well, that's over. Because it has turned into an enterprise instead of a mm -hmm. campaign. It, it's mm -hmm. a multi-year, um, hugely funded well-staffed enterprise yeah <laughs> and there's a wind down process for enterprises you know yeah well speaking of winding down let's wind down this episode that is not no longer brief um thank you for joining us for another episode of pantsuit politics we would like to thank our executive producer my husband nicholas and newly uh, Beth's husband, Chad. So exciting. Tracy, as well as our other executive producers, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. You can follow us on social media. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast app. And, and until next week, keep it in watch. Y'all.